Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. Man, wasn't that an awesome vision film? It, it, it was like uh, produced by Michael Bay or something. It's like Transformers. Like I kept waiting for one of those cars on the freeway to just jump up, you know? But man, for those of you just joining us, we are in our annual vision series. And if it's your first time with us, you could not have picked a better time of the year to be joining us because we're going to be talking about how we're going to help our youth our families, and our community in 2019. Um, last Sunday's vision talk was inspiring, and I've just been so encouraged all throughout the week hearing from people that are excited, that, you know, the conversations that were happening in home church. Some of them are coming up with lists of ideas and ways that, that they can't wait to be a part of this, because the truth is it's going to take us all. This year, laying a foundation for Brave Church to be a blessing to the Bay Area for generations to come. And it isn't just going to happen with a few of us. It's going to take all of us doing our part. We are all founders. You guys are founders. So we're going to do this. Okay? Everybody has a part to play. So this year's vision series is titled It's Personal. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a closer look at each of the three vision focuses. Our youth, our families, and our community. All of us fit into one of these three categories, and all of them matter to God, because to God, people matter. It's personal. People's pain, people's problems, people matter to God. And so when the things that matter to God matter to us, it becomes personal. So here's my hope today. My my hope today is that you would leave with a better understanding of God's vision for our youth. However that impacts you, whether you're in your season of youth or past it, the next generation means everything. They are literally the future of our world. So I take the faith of the next generation personal, and I hope that you will too. Now, I I realize that there are two groups of people here today that this is probably the most personal for. If you're a student in this room, it's personal. If you're a parent or a grandparent of a student in this room, it's personal. And all of us, all of us have a season of youth, right? Because all of us were youth once. And so, so what we're going to talk about today isn't just for students. It's not just for parents of students or grandparents of students. It's for all of us. And so we're going to look at this subject, this topic of youth, a little bit differently. Because the season of youthfulness impacts us all. It's a defining time. In fact, many of us spend a great deal of our lives trying to figure out what happened. The truth is, good things, bad things, dad got that one, good things, bad things, all of these experiences that happen in our youth, a lot of times they give us a lot to wrestle with later in life, a lot to figure out. It's a critical time of life. But for for clarity, let me define the term youth in the way that we're going to talk about it today, because it's a much broader season than we're used to thinking. 
Um, There's a lot said in the Bible, and there are a lot of amazing passages, but there's one that's been standing out to me lately that I've been meditating on, and it's probably not one that you have on your wall, okay? It's not one of those ones that that maybe you memorized before or or gets a lot of airtime, but it's been standing out to me a lot lately, and I think it gives us a really good way of viewing this season of youth that we're going to talk about today. And so it's in the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is a book written in a genre known as wisdom literature. And so if you're young, it's a particularly great book to read because it deals with a lot of big picture topics in life and and helps us learn to make wise decisions. And so this passage is found in Proverbs 20, verse 29. And it says, we admire the strength of youth and respect the gray hair of age. We admire the strength of youth and respect the gray hair of age. In very few words, We learn a lot about life right here. First, that youth is a season, that it's marked by strength, and that you know it's over when your hair turns gray. (laughs) Turn to the person next to you and say, you still got it. (laughs) When this passage talks about youth, it's not limiting our season of youth to our teenage years or our college years, or even our 20s. Many of you here today are still in your season of youth. It's a much broader time of life than the term usually implies. I turned 31 today. Yeah. And uh, a friend called me up this week. He's like, hey, what are you doing on your birthday? I know it's coming up. It's Sunday. I said, I'm preaching three times. And there's nothing I'd rather be doing. It's an honor to serve you in this way and to serve God. But... Here's the thing. Every year, I'm getting more and more gray hairs. In fact, mostly they're coming in around the sides, so I have a really strategic haircut. I just cut it right off. No, but I'm not afraid of my hair going gray. Um, I'm not afraid of that. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. But what Proverbs is talking about here is a season of gray hair, a season to be respected that I'm not actually in yet. I'm still in this season of youth. I don't have this kind of gray hair. Now, my dad, on the other hand, and uh, we're not going to go into his hair secrets, but his season of youth is over. And that can sound kind of sad, right? But it's not. It's it's a beautiful season to be respected. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But for clarity this morning, when I refer to our season of youth, I'm meaning it in the sense of this passage in Proverbs. I'm referring to a season of strength. Youth is, is from kids all the way to your, your 30s, maybe even early 40s in some cases. This is a season of strength, and it's a strength to be admired. And those who are past this season are in a season to be respected. Now, each of us is in one of these two seasons or in the middle, feeling the, the tension of that transition. And in each season, there are different challenges. When we're teenagers, we usually want to grow up as fast as we can, right? We can't wait to drive. We can't wait to go to college. We can't wait to be able to see this movie, go where we want to go when we want to go, be in our first real romantic relationship. Some of our younger years are spent waiting for the first experiences. A lot of that becomes an emphasis. We just can't wait to be in the next season of life. And some of us here today, we're somewhere in the middle, We're transitioning. We can feel our youth leaving us. We remember a time when we had more energy, more stamina, more than we do right now. 
And so this is where things can get weird. A lot of people spend a lot of time, energy, and money trying to get their youth back. We live in a culture that celebrates youthfulness, even idolizes youthfulness. For some, it becomes an obsession. We want to look younger, feel younger, try to get back what we once had because youthfulness is a hard thing to let go of. I read two crazy stories this week, okay? One of them was about Silicon Valley executives that are spending $8,000 a pop on blood transfusions from younger people to try to turn back the clock. Is that crazy? And then another one that you might have seen this, this Dutchman, he's 69 years old, and he wants to legally change his age to 49. He wants to be 20 years younger because it'll look better on his online dating profile. This is crazy times, right? Now... I know this is extreme, but think about how much we idolize youth. We want to stay young and healthy as long as we can. And that's not all bad. But when it becomes an idol or an obsession, we can end up missing the very purpose of youth or even the purpose beyond it. So if you're in high school, God has a purpose for your life right now. You'll never have this season again. In fact, that's why we're going to be hiring our first full-time youth pastor like by the end of this year. And so, yeah, we're, we're really excited. It's been a long time um, coming to have someone that can fully be devoted to raising up our youth as passionate Jesus followers. And so if you're, you're in that season, um, you've got a lot to look forward to. And I just want you to know that. I know there are a lot of high schoolers even in the room today with us. And so we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, but if you're transitioning to college or out of college, or if you're a young professional or if you're a new mom or a new dad, or if you're feeling like you're just hitting your prime right now, God has a purpose for you just as you are exactly where you are. And if you're in that season where your youth is slipping away and you're, you're entering your post-youth season of life, you need to know that God has purposes for you that are just as meaningful as the ones he had in your younger years. This season carries with it even more responsibility. Have you noticed that our entire lives, our level of responsibility only trends in one direction? Like when we're younger, we can't wait till we can drive or we can't wait to get out of the house because we can go wherever we want or do whatever we want. But that's actually the point where we become more responsible than we've ever been. Like it's on us at that point, not our parents. Or if you're parents and you have kids and you're like, I can't wait for them to get out of the house. It's going to be sad, but we're going to be so free. Actually... We got some, yeah, we got some people that are excited to get somebody out of the house. Um, but the truth is, when your kids are gone, you have just as much, if not more, responsibility because now they're forging their path and they're going to need your support as much as they ever have and they're going to need your wisdom and what you, what you can give to them. So wherever you are in this journey today, in our youth, losing our youth, or post-youth, God has a vision for our present season that is full of purpose. There's a, pl- there's a story in the Gospel of Luke. And I love Luke's Gospel. Luke is one of the disciples who was closest to Jesus. And he wrote his account of Jesus' story. And so there's this account in Luke's Gospel where he talks about Jesus as a 12-year-old. And it's the only story that we have about Jesus as a boy. He goes from baby to 30-year-old, around 30, starting his ministry, except for this story. And so from this story, we get a picture of what God wants to do in our season of youth. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus was an overachiever, okay? None of us are Jesus, but Jesus's life is a model. 
It's something for us to look to and see. You know, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. And so this story isn't just supposed to be an an inspiration of how impressive Jesus was. It's also a picture of the kinds of things that God wants to do in our youth, in our season of youth. So if you're in your season of youth, from a student all the way up to 30s, maybe early 40s, lean in. Because God wants to reveal some things to you about how he's working in your life. And if you're post-youth, I believe that God wants to connect some dots today, maybe reaffirm some of the consistent purposes that he had in your life when you were young that he still has for your life today. And so maybe you came to faith later in life. One of the most beautiful things about coming to faith later in life is looking back and being able to see some of the, the times that God was pursuing you, that he was always there, that even when you didn't know him, he has been pursuing you relentlessly. This week, we lost a, a great hero of the faith, Eugene Peterson, uh, died at the age of 85. And he was best known for writing the message translation of the Bible, a translation of scripture that emphasizes its meaning using common language to bring verses to life in a fresh way. And so at his funeral, Eugene Peterson's son, Leif, said that his dad only had one sermon, that he had everyone fooled for 29 years of pastoral ministry, that for all his books, he only had one message. It was a secret, Leif said, that his dad had let him in on early in life. It was a message that Leif said his dad had whispered in his heart for 50 years, words he had snuck into his room to say over him as he slept as a child. God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you, and he is relentless. Let's pray this morning before we go to our passage. God, I pray for everyone here, and I pray that we would become aware of your pursuit of us, that we would feel your love for us. I pray that as we analyze and consider our season of youth, its purpose and what you want to do through it or what you've done, that we would connect dots to your love for us and the ways that you have just been recklessly, relentlessly pursuing us because you love us so, so much. I pray that we would become awakened to your purposes, that that there would be a heightened sense of your purposes in our lives right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Luke 2, starting in verse 41. And if you didn't get notes, you can raise your hand. Our ushers on the sides, they'll get those to you if you want to follow along. But we're going to be in Luke 2, verse 41, and we're going to read this story together. And the title of today's talk is Four Lessons from Young Jesus. Four Lessons from Young Jesus. It says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. So this was an annual trip, and it was one of the highlights of the Jewish year. It was one of three annual festivals that were celebrated in Jerusalem. And so from Jesus' hometown, where he grew up in Nazareth, it was a three-day journey to the capital, to Jerusalem. And so they would travel in caravans for protection, and they would travel there together three times a year. And so they're on their way there for the Passover. And it says, after the festival was over... While his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and when they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. 
they thought they lost Jesus. I mean, think about this. You're Mary, you know you've had the Son of God, you've birthed the Son of God, and you lost him. And so for a whole day, they're traveling back, wondering where he is. They have no clue, and they don't know where they're going to find him. And so then, where do they find Jesus? He's in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. I've always heard this story. I remember when I first heard this story, when I was really young, I just thought, well, of course that's where Jesus is. He's Jesus, right? And then I got a little older, and I thought, well, you know, that is kind of impressive. Like, he's young, and he's sitting there with the rabbis. Like, wow, what's going on here? But what I've, what I've actually learned is that in those days, it wasn't unusual for students to gather at the feet of rabbis and discuss theology. And they often did this in this question and answer format. And so this was a normal thing for students to do. And the reason they did it is because they wanted to know God. Number one in your notes, in our youth, we can know God. We can know God. Right now, upstairs, there's a classroom full of kids and they're listening to a lesson and they're asking questions. And just like Jesus did as a boy, they're getting to know God. In our, in our youth, our relationship with God can become personal. And, and how does this happen? One of the ways is listening and asking questions, which is why it's so important for us to join a home church or, or go to life classes, put ourselves in environments where our faith can grow, where we can get to know God, where it can become personal. This is one of the primary ways that we get to know God, especially in our youth, because there is just so much that we don't know. This January, we're building a youth ministry that's going to do for students all of the things that we do for adults, because we value students knowing God, for their faith to become personal in this stage of life. I was talking to a youth pastor the other day uh, who's at another church here in the Bay, an awesome guy, and he was telling me, man, youth ministry here is so different. And and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, I, I... taking them to camp, and I'm really excited to take them to camp, and thought they're going to love it, because I grew up going to camp, and so we get them there, and they're like, this place is a dump. <laughs> I grew up going to the same camp, by the way, and I thought it was awesome, but he gets them there, and they're like, this place is a dump, because the vacations they go on, the places they go with their family are so much nicer, that they're just like, we don't even care about this, but then they started having prayer before school, and students started showing up with their friends to pray. Our youth is a vibrant time of life. It's a time where we can have so much fun, but it's also a time that we can know God. And I love that contrast because really knowing God, getting to know God, it's the priceless thing that none of the other things that the world has to offer can give us. So Jesus is sitting at the rabbi's feet, which it turns out isn't all that unusual. But then something very unusual happens in verse 47. It says, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Number two, in our youth, our unique abilities are affirmed by others. Uh, Jesus was destined to teach his nation about God. His life purpose was to connect people to God, and that played out in more ways than one. Yes, he'd eventually give his life as a sacrifice, but he would also spend a significant amount of time ministering and, and teaching people before he would die for our sins. So he taught all over and he showed people a new way to see God. And even as a boy, people were starting to be amazed by him. What have you been good at since you were young? All of us can can probably think of a moment where someone told us that we were good at something. 
Maybe it surprised us. Maybe it helped guide us or, or direct us in, in terms of our passion. It affirmed something. For some of you, it locked you into a lifetime of some of the things that you're doing right now. I went and saw a movie the other day called Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's a bio of the band Queen focusing on its lead singer, Freddie Mercury. And man, I forgot how many hits Queen had. I mean, they were amazing. But I haven't studied Queen, so if you're like a diehard fan and you hated the movie, don't get mad at me, okay? But it focuses on the lead singer, Freddie Mercury, and it's during this this epic era of the rock band. And early on in his life, he marries this girl, but later they break up and she's heartbroken. And she asks him why he wants to keep her in his life, and he says this, he says, because we believe in each other, and that's everything. And he says this because she believed in him before he was anyone. She believed in him before anyone else did, maybe even before he believed in himself. And so just like Jesus experienced early on, in our youth, there will be people who affirm things about us that we were created to do. And this is a very powerful thing. See, people maybe believe in you or believed in you before you believed in yourself. Some of you have had this experience. Maybe others of you, you're, you're at a later stage in life and you're still kind of trying to figure it out. You're still kind of trying to figure out, what, are, what am I good at? What am I supposed to do? Maybe you've lost sight of that path. And so I would just encourage you this week, spend some time. Ask God to, to bring these things to mind in prayer. God, what is it that, that, that I was doing when I was young, that I've been good at since I was young, that maybe connects to my calling or my purpose that you have for me. But either way, um, I think that God will show you. And many of you know this. So consider the moments where you were doing something that you enjoyed, where you were doing something where you were just being yourself and someone noticed. What are the unique abilities that people have affirmed? Where you had a passion for something and someone called it out of you. Uh, You don't have to have the wisdom of Jesus or the voice of an angel to be recognized by others. There are so many talents and abilities and things that God has given us to serve him with and to serve others with. All all her life, my wife, Marcy, has been a great listener. And people just feel comfortable talking to her, opening up around her. But I'm so proud of her because this December, she's going to be the first member of her family to graduate college. And it's so cool. But... The reason I share that is because she's pursuing a counseling path. And I love this because, you know, it's, it's one thing to recognize the things that you have an ability for or that you are uniquely created for, but it's another thing to develop them. See, you can be good at listening and people can open up around you and you can have nothing to offer other than listening. But God often wants to take something that stands out while we're young, and then we have a responsibility to develop that thing in such a way that that his love can pour through us to others in a way that impacts people that we never would have dreamed. And so here's Jesus, and he's a boy, and he's going to be the greatest teacher to ever walk this earth, but he's sitting in the temple talking to the rabbis, reasoning with them, And then later on, it says that he was learning and growing, that he grew in stature, and that he grew in wisdom. What have people said about you since you were young? Maybe you've always been good at organizing things or getting things done. You might have an administrative gifting. Or when you get involved with helping a a person or a team of people, things just get better. You might have a gift of helps. Isn't it amazing to think that Some of us, some of you have a gift that makes everyone else better. So Jesus is amazing the people in the temple. 
And he has this unique ability to understand God's word. And then it says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Number three, in our youth, we end up places that connect us to our calling. Jesus' parents had every right to be concerned and anxious. They thought they lost Jesus. Like, I'm still a little hung up on that. Isn't that crazy, though? That they, they thought they lost Jesus. But to Jesus, he was right where he was supposed to be. He's in Jerusalem, so of course, he ends up in a temple talking to the rabbis. Jesus would become a rabbi. So Mary and Joseph, they they didn't take Jesus to Jerusalem to talk to the rabbis. They took him there for the festival. It was their tradition. But Jesus ended up exactly where he was supposed to be, where he had to be. He's like, Mom, Dad, I know you're upset, but look at what happened right here. Look at what's going on. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. When I was younger and I first felt called into ministry to become a pastor. I was 16 years old and I was at that, that dump of a camp that uh, we were talking about earlier that uh, set my course and direction for the rest of my life. And so I'm there and worshiping and God speaks to me during this, this prayer time that, that he's called me to become a pastor. And so I'm 16 years old and I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do next? And so I meet this other youth pastor or this youth pastor who's there and I said, hey, can I intern for you? And he said, we don't have an internship. I said, well, can I be the first one? And so he says, you know, maybe we'll create one for you. Let me pray about it. Let me think about it. And so he gets back to me. And so I ended up um, moving there for a summer. I just graduated high school. I was 17. And I moved there to intern. Well, this is 13, 14 years ago. And that place ends up being a church in Danville. And I never would have imagined I would be right here now like almost 14 years later, doing what I'm doing. I had never heard of the East Bay. I had never been to the East Bay. I had no reference point. Oftentimes, in our younger years, we find ourselves places that we think we just ended up, or things happen that we think were just coincidental, but actually, God is birthing something that will be part of our future. In our youth, we end up places that connect us to our calling. Jesus was a boy. He's reasoning with the temple, in the temple with rabbis. He's amazing the people in the very city that he would one day be tried and crucified. So we find ourselves in these places that connect to our calling and to the great works of love that God has planned to do through us in specific places. Where has God taken you in your youth? This may be one of those places It's important to recognize these places because it's one of the things that God uses to affirm our direction later in life. When when we wonder if we're lost or we've missed it or when things get hard and we wonder, is this really where I'm supposed to be? Acts 17 verse 26 says, God has marked out your appointed time in history and the places that you were to live. So don't be afraid or, 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 or concerned when you just seem to end up somewhere and you wonder, Is this really where I'm supposed to be? Like, God may have more in mind for you than you could imagine. Continuing, it says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Number four, in our youth, our allegiance is defined. 
Our allegiance is defined. Jesus kind of went rogue here, okay? He, he got lost in the moment. He completely forgot about his family. And he was in the temple, totally caught up in his father's business, doing his father's work. And we don't know because nothing more is written, but I imagine that this was the first one of, if not the first moment, that Jesus got a taste of what it would be like to do some of the work that God placed him on this earth to do. And there was nowhere that Jesus would have rather been. Think about this. Jesus was considerate. He honored his parents. He respected them. He didn't just decide to ditch them because he wanted to hang back. He was getting a taste of the future God had for him, and he was totally lost in it. His parents were good. They loved him. He obeyed them. But what we learn from this story is that even at a young age, his first allegiance was to God. Jesus was only 12 at the time, but a day would come when serving his father would be his full-time priority. So all of us, we probably know what it's like to get a taste of something, a hope for our future before the time has fully come. When we aren't quite old enough or the door hasn't fully opened yet or we aren't quite ready yet. And I think it's important for us to know that Jesus knows what this feels like. He feels your discomfort or your pain or your awkwardness. And it's during this time that our allegiance to God is defined. Because in our youth, we can know God. And when we get to know God, sometimes he leads us to make choices that others don't understand. Sometimes he leads us to make choices that we don't fully understand. But we have to be brave. These choices outwardly define and inwardly solidify who our allegiance will be to. God has a different set of priorities than people who are living life without him. Time spent gathering in church or time spent reading God's word and reading the Bible or, or, or using our hands in ministry to serve others. It may not be understood by all of the people around us. One scholar writes this, he says, Jesus' departure as a 12-year-old to discuss divine things in the temple was a problem for his parents and for the culture of that day. But sometimes Jesus leads us into seeing God do surprising things in the context of the culture, not by rewriting moral values, but by calling us to creativity in issues of style and approach to God's word. Over and over again, the people closest to Jesus didn't understand what he was doing. He wasn't with his parents when he was supposed to be. He talked to people he wasn't supposed to talk to. He hung out and was seen with people that he wasn't supposed to be with. Jesus knew when it was okay to break the cultural norms or shatter people's expectations because he was in tune with the presence of God. I, I think sometimes we get things mixed up because we misunderstand the presence of God. We think of God's presence as something that we feel during the right worship song or in the right moment. We think of it almost exclusively as an emotional connection. Jesus was in the temple and he was there where the presence of God lived. Back then, the presence of God was only in the temple. And so Jesus was closer to God than anyone else in that temple. And there was no place that he would rather be, but not because it just felt so good to be there or because it made him feel closer to his father. For Jesus, it wasn't about seeking the presence of God. It was about the purpose in the presence. God was using him. He was amazing people. He was showing them a way of seeing God that they had never seen before. He missed his ride because he was living his purpose in the presence. 
And it was the most important thing happening in his life. What would it look like if God's business was the highest priority of business in our lives? If all of us took our unique abilities and said, my life is going to be about how I use what God has given me for others. If we took the strength of our youth and we spent it building a legacy in our community of lives transformed, lightening people's burdens, introducing them to God, the God above all gods, showing them how to live for what truly matters. What could we build together while we still have our best energy and our best stamina and our best endurance? And for those beyond your youth, what wisdom can you offer? What encouragement that carries extra weight because you've been there? What, what can you give because of what God has built in your season of youth through you? Because of the ways that God has blessed you? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning and I want to pray a prayer for those of you here in both seasons of life. God, I pray that, that you would build our lives in such a way that we would build something for you. I pray that you would show us for those in their, in their youth that you would put dreams and ideas and passions and ways that, that we can make a difference right now in the season that we're in. That as we as we become aware of your presence, that the power of God lives within us, that we would see ways that we can use our strength to build something that matters. And God, I pray for those that are beyond this season, that are past it, that you'd show them the purpose in the wisdom and, and the season that they, have, that they are in now because of where they've been and because of what they've been through and the, and the great things that you have been working on and doing in our lives. I pray that, that we would not be disengaged, that those who are older would not be disengaged, but would see this as a significant time to pour into the future, to pour into the youth that are coming up behind them. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Bay Area, we would love for you to join us at a Sunday gathering in San Ramon. For directions, gathering times, or information about our Brave Kids program, visit us at brave.church. Also, if you want to help support what God is doing through Brave, you can give online to the Brave Foundation at brave.church forward slash foundation.